0: ladies and gentlemen boys and girls cats and dogs and falcons circling the skies above new england loaded up on metamucil and xlax it's thursday at three o'clock and you know what that means it's tea with VVP. Live from the Michigan State University campus, it's your host, Bill Van Patten, a.k.a. BVP, international superstar, and of course, Diva of SLA. And speaking of Falcons, with me are my co-hosts, who keep an eye on me like Hawks, Angelica Kramer and Walter Hopkins. Say hi, Angelica.
1: Einen wunderschönen guten Donnerstag Nachmittag.
0: Guten, I heard, I got guten out of that. Did you? Aren't you surprised Walter's here? Walter, say hi. Hello, everybody. Walter was on death's door yesterday. Uh-huh. He called me last night at 9.15 or whatever it was. He, Bill, I'm so sick. I went to emergency care today. That's what you sounded like last Urgent night, Urgent care, not emergency Well, care. same thing. You know, you had to go to some emergency <laughs> clinic and get looked at. So, But you sound much better. I Thank you. I'm glad to hear that. I mean, you sound a little nasally still, but, you know, you, he literally sounded awful last night in mm. He really, really, I didn't Poor know Walter. Yeah, poor Walter. I'm back from the dead, everyone.
1: I like it. Thank God.
0: Yay! Yay. And I think your beard grew a half inch since I last saw you, too. I think
1: so, too. At least (laughs) a half inch.
0: Luca, we got to get a picture of Walter and put it on Twitter so that everybody can see his beard. Speaking of Falcons, I went to Atlanta.
1: Hmm. Oh, yeah?
0: Yeah, I flew to Atlanta on Sunday. Did you go to the... Oh, no, they weren't in Atlanta. I was going to say... No, no, I did not. No. Did uh, you watch uh, the Super Bowl in Atlanta? I... I... Went to bed when it was twenty one three. I went I, in the hotel thinking, "Oh, great! I'll wake up in the morning and you know everybody in Atlanta will be celebrating." <laughs> mm. That was wrong. Um, yeah, but I, yeah. I was at a I was at a conference, the uh, CI Atlanta Conference of Atlanta, that was held at Holy Innocence Episcopal Church, which of course I had to make fun of while I was there because I was saying, "Of all things, of all places, for Bill Van Patten to speak, <laughs> Holy." innocence. Like if there's two words that Walter would never use to describe me, <laughs> they would be holy and innocent, right? It's like, But it was fun. We had a good time. I did a keynote and a workshop on tasks. I did a keynote on just acquisition more general and stuff. It was good. So thanks to the people at Atlanta who were there. Um, Patrick Allegra who hosted me. It was a great, great time. I wish I could have stayed longer, but I had to come back because I had to be back in the office early on Tuesday to get stuff done. So there we are. Um, I want to remind everybody that we have a contest going on. Do you guys remember what our contest is? I do. Me too. What is it? Tell them. Tell everybody. It is a birthday card contest. Mm-hmm. Right. It's a special contest because whose birthday is it this month? Abe Lincoln's, Liz Taylor's, mine. And BBP. mine, BBP's mine, birthday. All, all the biggies. Yeah, so we're having a birthday greeting card contest. It's not to write me a birthday card. That's not what it's about. Um, It's just a generic L2 birthday card. Um, Luca has posted the rules on our website. So go to teawithbvp.com and look there. We have two categories. Remember, we have one uh, best funny card and also best serious card. We'll see how many serious cards we get. I think we're going to get a lot of funny cards. Let's hope so anyway. We need a good laugh these days, don't we? Uh, gosh. Indeed. Yeah. So, yeah. So, anyway, so go to TeaWithBVP.com and look at those rules. We want to get lots and lots of entries. Do you guys remember what the prize is I'm giving away?
2: Your, I don't know.
1: Your book?
0: Yeah, my new book of yeah. short stories. Oh, that's right. So, each winner will get the, uh, the uh, a hard copy of Dust Storm, Stories from Lubbock. And um, and that'll be fun. So, there you go. No more coasters for a special uh <laughs> special for a special Angelica, special When's
2: your birthday?
1: In April.
2: In April, so we mm-hmm. should have another mm-hmm. car- contest in April.
1: Oh yeah, we could. Ooh, I'll think about what I would like as a contest. I like it.
0: <laughs> we should have. We should have. You know. We should have um, a, uh, a contest in April because of her birthday for best uh, Wiener Schnitzel or something like that. Oh, best my recipe. <laughs> best recipe. Yeah. Best recipe. For Wiener Schnitzel, or what's your favorite home dish from your from Germany?
1: Rouladen mit Spätzle.
0: Ah, ah, ah. okay. I think hey, I had. Tell that me once. what that is.
1: Rolled meat. It's I, rolled up.
0: When you first said it, I thought I had that once, but they gave me penicillin and it went away. But. Mitch <laughs> 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 What was it called?
1: Mitch Spätzle.
0: See, doesn't that sound like you get something for penicillin? Rouladen yeah. mit Spätzle. So it's rolled meat.
1: Yeah, it's rolled up meat with. Like bacon and and pickles and mustard on the Ooh. inside. Oh my gosh! Super thin.
2: My gosh! And you roll it up. I think for your birthday
0: you need to bring that in for us. Mm, I might. There you go. We'll have that. We'll have rolled meat in April. Olad mit spiccha. All right.
1: Spätzle. And for Spitzle.
0: and everybody knows Walter's birthday is when it is in. No one knows. It's in October. Even know? Oh, it's in so October. Know. Yeah, it's the first part of October. Yeah. Yeah. we already passed that, and we didn't do anything. We passed that. We did.
1: <laughs> we can do your right. half birthday.
0: <laughs>
2: when would that be?
0: It would be see October, November, December, oh, April, January, too. February. Well, there you go. March, <laughs> April. Yeah. yeah, hey, half a birthday. We'll do your half a birthday and her birthday. Great. All right, so everybody out there, remember in April it's Angelica's birthday and Walter's half a birthday, so we'll have a celebration then too. Okay, and speaking of remembering things, um, uh, we have the SLA challenge question coming up. I will give you the question in a few minutes, and the first person to make it to the phones with the answer wins a prize. Same for the Diva Challenge question. Ooh, Dustin helped me with the Diva Challenge question today. It's a good one. It's a good one. <laughs> I'll read that question at some point, and you'll have to uh, call in with the right answer and, of course, win a prize. And of course, we have Angelica's quote of the week. Angelica, you got a good one this week, right?
1: I do, yeah.
0: And Walter's read of the week. Walter, you got a good one, right? I think so. Are they topically related? What Indeed. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. So the number to reach us at is 517-884-4321. Again, that's 517-884-4321. Our trusted um, new intern, um, Jen Lee, is on the phone, and she'll be taking your calls. So ask for Jen. She'll say hi. Um, You can also mixerize a question if you want, but we really want you to call in. All right. Um, our Call, top- in. Call, Call in. Call in. Call. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Our topic today is input processing. I'm going to get that in just a minute. Um, but I wanted to, well, I was going to make another announcement. I forgot. I think I probably should have taken my, what's that pill you take for your memory? That- Ginkgo biloba? Yeah, see, I forgot what it was. See, <laughs> I need to take it so I can what? remember the name of it. Ginkgo biloba. Isn't that what it is? Ginkgo biloba. See, that also sounds like something you take penicillin for. Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs>
0: I got ginkgo below, but oh, my God, here's a shot. You know, I was like, oh, uh, I don't know. Anyway, so, yeah, um, so our topic today is input processing. And uh, I actually talked to Carol Gobb to the dick. She was in, in Atlanta. I said, Carol, do you think there's anything we should do on the show different? She goes, you need to talk just a little bit more and teach a little bit more and give some people some meat to hang on to. And she didn't say meat to hang on to. Some... <laughs> <laughs> was it called mit What Was it the, the rolled meat? <laughs>
1: Rouladen mit Spätzle.
0: Rouladen mit spitzen. Spätzle. 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 You have to write it out for me because <laughs> no, I don't have enough input to in, remember these words. <laughs> but um, So Carol said, yeah, you need to talk more. So actually, I have a little bit longer introduction to the topic today. Excellent. Because um, I think we'll just, you know, we'll see. And then we'll look at what um, some people say in the Twitter press, which is going to be interesting because I already read it, and um, some of the people are really sharp out there, let me tell you. Anyway, so this week we're talking about input processing. I'm going to start off with a general comment. Okay, so Walter. Walter, that's Given me. the fundamental role of input in language acquisition, how much research do you think is there on input processing in second language? What are you looking for, like a... A number of articles or... Yeah, how much? Oh, or just give, a, just give me a, 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 quali- a, quanti- a qualifying quantifier. <laughs> uh, I don't like know. tons and tons and hardly any, somewhere in between. Probably
2: not a significant amount would be my guess.
0: Well, you're actually correct, Walter. You would think that with the fundamental role of input, there'd be a lot of work on input processing out there, and there is not. Um, yours truly... The diva of SLA has worked on input processing for actually a large part of my career. I've worked on this stuff since, God, the 80s. Um, And I'm going to talk a little bit about what I've worked on in a minute. But I thought what we should do is first – everybody knows what input is, right?
1: Hopefully, yeah.
0: Hopefully, right? Um, So I think we would want to focus on the word processing and what that means. So let's define processing first. Now, in its simplest definition – Input processing, or processing, is the linking of form and meaning during the act of comprehension. Okay, so you've got form in the input, and there's meaning encoded somehow, and you're trying to, to, to figure out how the meaning is encoded in, the fo- enco- encoded in a form and how form encodes meaning. Now, those of you out there, when, I, when, I hear f- when you hear form, does not necessarily mean grammatical form, okay, because that's not the way we use form in linguistics. So, for example, when someone hears or sees something like "talk" in the input, they try to link whatever that that form is, that taakt. Those three sounds, those three. What do you call it? three? Yeah, three sounds. What does that word mean, right? Um, or if they see it, if it's signing, or if they read it, um, and the same thing uh, when they hear the word "talked." Okay, now they got four sounds together: taakt. Okay, So they have to link the, those things with their intended meaning. So in the first case, talk is whatever general meaning of saying or speaking, whatever talking means. And then talked, of course, the same thing, but this time they added on another layer of meaning, which is somehow it's related to the past. Something's going on in the past. Likewise, when a learner hears the word cat, they have to link the word cat to some kind of feline creature, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: that's what they've got to do. And then when they hear cats, In the input, they have to link that to felines, but this time more than one. Okay, so that's kind of what we're talking about. So um, a form can be a form is basically a word, which we'll talk about in a minute. So um, another thing that learners have to do is not just link a form and a meaning, but they have to process sentences, right? Because you don't just speak in single words, do you, Walter? Sometimes. I set him up for that. I knew he was going to do that. I was hoping he would do that. Okay, so um, Walter does not normally believe me because he comes to my office sometimes, and I cannot get him to shut up. Oh, come on now. Uh huh. Yeah, right, Walter. Okay, so see, he's feeling his oats because he's getting a little bit. He's getting over that whatever he had last night. So now he's now he's getting feisty. Um, So during input processing, you don't just process individual items. You actually have to process them in a sentence or an utterance. Um, So you have to figure out basic relationship among elements that relate to sentence meaning. For example, who is doing what to whom? So a learner who hears the cow kicked the horse must somehow link the sentence to a representation of a cow doing the kicking and a horse getting kicked in the rear end or wherever the horse is getting kicked, right? When that same learner hears the cow was kicked by the horse, that learner must at some point be able to link the horse to the kicking, not the cow, and the cow to getting the kicking in the rear end or the cow gets kicked. So a fundamental relationship of nouns to verbs, for example, in the simplest way is what we call parsing, or figuring out what the elements are in an utterance and how they all relate to each other to make sentence meaning. So in short, input processing is about linking form and meaning during comprehension at both a really micro level as well as a sentence level. The question is, how, does learners, how do learners do that? Um, clearly, you can't do all that linking from the outset, right? Because if you did it all, wouldn't acquisition be instantaneous? Hmm. It would just happen all at once, right? It would, but it doesn't. So there must be something developmental about making form-meaning connections or something that constrains learners from linking all form with all meaning from the outset. There must be strategies or principles that govern input processing. And that's really what second language acquisition, one of the things they should be looking at, which in my mind they really haven't, not enough of anyway, because it's such a critical part of the process. Now, over the years, I've been working on a model of input processing, um, and I've developed a couple of ideas here, so I'm going to show those with the audience today. Um, First of all, let's start from the premise, the overarching idea, that learners are doing one major thing with input. They're trying to get meaning from it. Right? So, they are, so they are trying to get meaning. So the, what do you think the first thing learners do on Gallica wh- if they're trying to get meaning from input in the new language? What are they trying to get out of the input? Where are they, when, they link, when you talk about linking form and meaning, what's, what is the major form they're trying to get? Any, Any idea? The noun? A noun? A noun is an example. It's a class of what I'm talking about. They're trying to get content words. Learners are driven to get content words from the input. So they have strategies that usually are based on sound, for example, like finding rhythmic patterns, finding pauses in an utterance and so on, that help them isolate words. And sometimes they get it wrong. In Spanish, for example, you might have an article and a word together, uh, like el chico, and you might not know that el and chico are two words. You might think el chico is boy, when only chico is boy, right? Mm -hmm. So... They don't always get it right, but that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to isolate content words. And content words can also be phrases like, ¿Cómo estás? And I so how are you? Or ¿Cómo se dice? How do you say something? So they, they, they isolate not just words but chunks. In other words, they're trying to get the, the maximum amount of meaning. And now, why do they do this? Because it's not clear that first language learners do this. They ultimately do this. But it's because second language learners are unique compared to first language learners is they come to the task of second language acquisition knowing that words exist. Little kids have to figure out that there are such things as words. They don't know. A one-year-old doesn't know what a word is, but an 18-year-old or a 16-year-old knows, has a concept of a word, so that person is looking for words in the input. Um, and again, they use uh, usually phonological cues to, to find those, those word boundaries and isolate them. And they ignore little words and things like that because they just, you know, uh, and they use all kinds of strategies to take the content words and figure out some kind of meaning. So the first thing learners get out of the input are words, content words. Um, the next thing in my model I talk about is, is grammatical form, so things like verb endings and noun endings and so on. And a lot of people are under the assumption that somehow learners process these things separately, all right, um, that somehow you have processed grammatical form. And what I want to say is no, they don't do that. What they do, what learners do, is they actually process grammatical form as part of a whole word. So learners don't process talked. For example, as talk plus they pronou- they, they t, They actually process the whole thing and store it as talked as one word. Um, and it's related to talk, but it's separate. So learners don't have, when they start hearing talked in the input and watch and the kind of things, they don't, they don't, they're not like creating a rule for past tense. They're just storing whole words, and pastness is associated with these words. Because, um, again, they're working with content words, and talked is a content word. Now, another strategy, a principle I work with in my model is for looking at sentences is that learners tend to process the first noun or pronoun as the agent or subject of the sentence. Um, so that means that the first noun that Walter hears in a new language, he's going to think, he's going to assume as a subject. So while he is comprehending, his mind is doing this unconscious projection of a syntactic structure that says this noun is the subject of the sentence. It's all very abstract. He doesn't even know he's doing it, right? So, um, and that's great for lots of things, but it's not good when it comes to things like what Walter. The cow was kicked by the horse. Hmm. So, if Walter is learning English and he hears the cow was kicked by the horse, what's he going to think, Angelica?
1: That the horse was kicked by the cow.
0: <laughs> 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 that the cow was doing the kicking, right? So, because um, he's going to ignore the rest of that, those other functional words, and he because uh, he's just even though his language might have passives, um, it, 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 his initial instinct as a language learner is to process the content words and then rely on the first noun strategy to process that first noun as a subject or an agent. It is the subject of the sentence, but it's not the agent, right? Everybody out there know what an agent is, Walter? What's an agent? Tell me what an agent is.
2: You're my special agent.
0: No, come on. Be serious. <laughs> what's the A in, a, in linguistics? What, what's an agent so people know?
2: Why don't you tell us, Bill?
0: Jeez. Oh, I thought you had an MA in linguistics, Walter. What is this? Am I putting you on the spot here? You're putting me on the spot,
2: and I don't like being put on the spot.
0: Oh, and my he gosh. He's
3: sick
1: today. You've got to cut him uh, some slack. i uh, can't.
0: Okay, Alice him, moments. I'm, I'm, I'm going to cut him some slack. He's, a, he's having a pseudo moment. Okay. Um, an agent, as opposed to a subject, is the doer or performer of an action. Now verbs are actions, like die. You know, John died. John is not the agent because John didn't do anything. He experienced death, so he's actually an experiencer. So an agent is uh, the doer or performer of an action-type verb. So like kick is an action-type verb. So uh, kick requires an agent. So what learners do is they conflate subject and agent for all sentences, and that's why they misinterpret passives and a lot of other things. Those of you out there who teach Spanish when your students... Um, start screwing up Gustad and all those things because they're processing me as the subject of the sentence and not an object and so on. Um, okay, and then finally, one other little piece of thing here that um, I've uncovered over the years is something we all could figure out on our own. And that's that learners process the beginnings of sentences better than the ends of sentences, and they process both the beginnings and ends of sentences better than the middle of sentences, um, which is why I always tell people, speak in short sentences, <laughs> Uh, it takes learners a lot of mental effort to process even the most simple sentences. And so, um, th- again, words and things that appear at the beginning of sentences are picked up sooner than things that begin at the end of se- ends of sentences, and those things are picked up sooner than things that occur or tend to occur in the middles of sentences. So, um, so you can do an analysis over time, and again, this is after exposure to input. We see, we see this happening. Um, So in a nutshell, learners come to the task. They're not like little tabula rasas, you know. They're just sitting there. You throw a lot of input at them, and they're just soaking it up. They actually are active processors with internal principles or strategies where they are selecting from the input, very clearly selecting from it. Um, And so this is why I tell people, don't think input's a technique to teach something else. It's not. Um, You're not going to be any better teaching grammar through input than you are teaching it the old-fashioned way because the purpose of input is not to isolate grammar. That's not, learners' heads are equipped to do very particular things with input. So again, striving for content words first, processing grammatical form as part of a whole word, not separately, um, processing using the first noun as the or pronoun as the agent or subject of the sentence, and then processing beginning of sentences before ends of sentences and before middle parts. So these things all work together and they help us understand not everything, but some things about um, input processing. Now, I would be remiss if I did not say the following, Angelica.
1: Here it comes.
0: That my perspective is that these are universal strategies and principles of processing. I would be remiss if I did not say that. Some people think that input processing is L1-based. So that you process the second language based on the grammatical, quote-unquote, rules you have in your head. Um, and I'm going to say that the jury is out on that. I disagree. I have found more universal aspects than L1-based aspects. I think the L1 can kick in at a certain point, but I don't think it's the starting point. And if anybody wants to call in and ask me to clarify that, I'd happy to do that because I don't want to talk anymore right now. So, um, so some people do think that. Um, but I only know one if not two pieces of research that argue that, and it's just not clear to me that you can say that. And, again, I will give an example if somebody calls in and asks for one. So if you want to talk about input processing or input or anything related to what we're talking about, um, the number to reach us at is 517-884-4321. Again, 517-884-4321. And while we're waiting for people to digest all that stuff about input processing, how about an SLA challenge? Or fall asleep, perhaps. Question.
2: (laughs)
1: Yes. Bring it on, Bill. Bring
2: <laughs> it on. He's just back. To, just ignore I don't Walter. care. Sudafed oh, I was or... falling asleep. I don't know. Well,
0: you're fa- <laughs> you'll fall asleep anyway. <laughs> My God, Walter. I mean, like, you know, Barbara Strassen could walk in the room and you'd be... Okay. Anyway. So here's the SLA challenge question. You ready for this? I'm ready. Is I'm not talking to you. I'm talking on Angelica from now on. <laughs> here's the yes, SLA I'm challenge ready. question. Okay. Is it an easy one? Bill Van Patten is the name most associated with input processing. Who is associated with output processing procedures as described in processability theory? Again, Bill Van Patten is the name most associated with input processing. Who is associated with output processing procedures as described in processability theory? There you go, that's the question. So I thought, since we're talking about input processing, I thought we'd throw something out there about output processing, too. I like it. Because those are, those are acquired separately from input processing. They're unrelated. Okie Um So there's our SLA challenge question floating around out there. Um, Luca, what should I do, Luca? Should I read a couple of things from the Twitter or do you want me to take a call? What's going on here? I think I'll read something from Twitter first.
1: We have a lot of first live listens today because a lot of people have snow days.
0: Oh, yay, snow. Uh, actually, I shouldn't say that because it's horrible what's going on in the East Coast. Yeah. People oh. think because we live in Michigan, we get a lot of snow. We don't get nearly as much snow as mm. Boston or New York or Upper upstate New York. Okay. Um, I love this. Okay, here's what Luca put out. In a tweet, explain what happens in learners' minds as they attempt to comprehend language they hear or see. So Longinu says the following. I don't even understand what's happening in my mind. <laughs> 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 I think that's great. Nice. Um, Okay, and here's interesting, um, Senor Schwab, because he, he's read work of mine, says, content words are preferred over grammatical items, when they both encode the same info. So uh, if you don't know what that means, it means that um, you don't look for pastness grammatically when you're processing it, but you look for words like yesterday, last week, two months ago, those kinds of things give you clues to pastness, not, not verb forms. Um, okay, uh, and yeah, and Tom Egan says something similar. Uh, let's see. Um, uh, I'm not sure what this means here, um, but this is interesting. Miriam says, when I try to read Chinese script, I focus on the strokes. It helps remind me of words. See, that idea of processing words keeps coming up. So what, uh, what Miriam is saying is that when she's looking at the Chinese script, she's trying to like, find words or something that reminds her of words. And she also reads out loud to associate sound. Um, that's just something people do all kinds of conscious strategies. Uh, what we're interested in acquisition are the unconscious things that actually help store language in your head. These other, these other things like reading out loud and trying to figure things out are just our conscious ways of trying to control our environment, but uh, they ultimately have very little to do with how language gets in our head. Sorry, Miriam, I didn't mean to say that about you, but it's kind of true. Um, uh, we just all feel the need to control our environment. You know that? Okay. Um, is there a caller? Yes, there's a caller on the line coming up, and we got Dan. Dan, are you on the yeah, line? Dan. Hey, Dan. How's great, it going? We're, uh, we're, we're doing great here in the studio, except for Walter. Oh, He's, I'm going to ban him from the studio <laughs> for a minute here. <laughs> well, I was really
3: happy to call because we are having a snow day today, so I'm home and I'm able to, uh, to get a call out.
0: So. Well, great, Dan. So uh, where are you calling New from? New Hampshire. New Hampshire. Great. Um, So, what's on your mind? What do you want to talk about? I think
3: it's a great show, and I'm really glad to um, have this resource now. So, you know, you've introduced me to a lot of different uh, readings, and so over Christmas break, I read the book that you edited and wrote, part of um, Theories in Second Language Acquisition. And I was really Uh, interested in the chapter on input processing because, uh, you know, it sort of explains a lot of the observations I've made over the years. I've taught for 18 years, and so a lot of these things Mm -hmm. I've seen before. And so I was really interested, in. you just mentioned it, too, that students will look at lexical markers instead of the grammatical markers. So we had our uh, midterms a couple of weeks ago, so I thought this might be an interesting time to do a little action research. So I put a series of sentences on the midterms for my French, one, two, and three groups, uh, no, three, um, two, three, and four groups, that were past tense and present tense, some with markers, adverb markers of time, and some without. And of course, what happened was all the ones with adverb marks of time, they knew if it was past or present. They really made mistakes on the ones that were in the past tense without those adverb marks of time. So I guess my question is, you know, I've just sort of replicated what you've researched before, but what do I do with this? Do I, how do I proceed knowing that they don't always or don't usually understand that it's in the past tense versus the present tense?
0: Well, one thing you could do, Dan, is um, if you want some more reading um, for your next snow day, is look at processing instruction, which I developed, which is a, supposed to be an adjunct for acquisition-oriented classrooms. It's for those people who feel that maybe their students just aren't getting enough out of the input and you want to like just give it a little injection. Mm-hmm. So I call this drop-in stuff. And it goes well with input-based approaches in acquisition because it's, processing instruction is not an explicit Teaching thing where you explain grammar, blah, blah, blah. It, it doesn't work that way. Some people think it does, but it doesn't. So, for example, in the case you're talking about with past tenses, what we do in process instruction is we would give learners sentences. We would say, okay, class, we're going to do a little quick activity. I'm going to give you some sentences about um, some things in my life. And what I want you to do is tell me if you think they happened in the present or if they happened in the past. And so, and s- sometimes it's like, I go to school. And then another sentence might be, I went to the movies, and so all the adverbs are gone. Okay, and then and then, what they are forced to do is start to process the lexical item, the verb, with its uh, intact with its ending, to start to get cues for temporal reference. And what that does, uh, and then you can also use those, of course. You know, you you, it's communicative in the sense that because once you say, um, I went to the I went to the store, they get people go that's past. I go good. So when did I go to the store? You can ask them. You know, you, know, you can make a little story out of you want. Okay, anyway, so um, so we call these processing uh, uh, structured input activities. And what they do is they start to push the learner slowly toward processing strategies that are more optimal for getting more stuff out of the input. Um, and for me, it's a better way of thinking about how to get learners to attend a little bit more to form in the input, and, and or I should say formalized lexical items like talked versus talk, um, without interrupting the fact that we're focused on input and without interrupting the fact that we want to focus on meaning. Does that make sense what yeah. I just said? Yeah. And so and so, I, uh, I've been working with processing instruction over the years um, to develop things like that. And so this is, that's one thing we can do. And you can, and you can parachute those things in there. You shouldn't do it all the time because you don't want to interrupt the flow of your community classroom. But those things you can drop in now and then and, and, and do stuff with, and, and they work quite well. And I'll have, uh, I'm going to make a note to myself. We'll put up on the website, uh, on the resource page, um, some readings, and they're all very teacher-friendly too. Um, one of my former students, Drew Farley, did a whole book on processing instruction, um, and so uh, we'll put that up um, on the website uh, reference as a reference and some other things for people who want to have some downtime reading. So,
3: so a lot of times I am, um, you know, I keep using TPRS. And I right. don't want to stop the flow of language to point out, okay, what we're saying is in the past tense. But the next day, I take the story that we invented the day before, and I put it on the board, and we read it. So in that case, it seems like that might be a good time to stop and say, well, you know, when did this happen? And maybe point out the, the past tense-ness of the, of the sentences. Do would you agree with that?
0: I mean, yeah, you can point it out, but remember, when you do things like that, just pointing out, is, 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 is not the same as having them actually process the form while they're trying to comprehend. Okay. So he's pointing out the past tense and, and then hearing the sentence, um, I went to the store. That, is that happening right now or did it happen yesterday? You have to you have to actually process that sentence and link all the form of this meaning to answer that question as opposed to, oh, by the way, look here, this past tense. You're engaging fundamentally different. Not different parts of the brain necessarily, although they could be. But you're engaging different underlying processes, and what you want to do is engage the processes that make the students link, form, and meaning while they're while they're trying to comprehend a sentence. Okay. Yeah, um, and so that's why I advocate processing instruction. We have a lot of research on processing instruction. It's a very good tool, um, supplemental tool, not not a substitute for, it, but it's a good supplemental tool for acquisition-oriented classrooms um, because it is input-based. You can drop things in. Um, you can go with the flow. Um, it doesn't interrupt, again, um, necessarily our focus on meaning and our focus on input. Okay. So, so we'll put that up, and hopefully maybe that, that'll that'll give you some clues. Great. Well, thank you very much. Okay, Dan. Well, be careful today. I know you're going to get dumped on a lot. So. <laughs> All right, okay. thanks. Right. bye Okay, thanks, Dan. Bye-bye. Bye Dan. bye, Dan. That was a good question. That was... Uh, um, Uh, a lot of people struggle with that kind of thing because you're you're throwing all this input at people and you're going, they're not getting it, they're not getting it. Part things are developmental, they just take a long time, but other things you can kind of like, you can poke them a little bit. Okay, Walter, are you ready to uh, share your reading of the week with people? Are you still awake? Walter, wake up! I'm here. You said you were falling asleep, so.
2: (laughs) Yes, I am ready. This is uh, an article called Foundations of Processing Instruction.
0: Ooh, that sounds familiar. (laughs) And it was written
2: by this guy sitting beside me named Bill Van Patten. And it was published in the International Review of Applied Linguistics, or IRL. Is that how they say it? Yep, IRL. IRL, IRL. Anyway, International Review of Applied Linguistics in 2015. And uh, so what's it talk about? Well, it talks about processing instruction, of course. It says that it lays out a number of areas to help inform the foundations of processing instruction, focusing on what processing instruction attempts to affect in learners, how processing in- instruction, or PI, is different from other interventions and techniques, and how the premise underlying processing instruction is different from, say, text enhancement and others that are predicated on noticing. So, read it and weep. I mean, read it and enjoy. <laughs> uh, this article again from the in- International Review of Applied Linguistics, 2015, BVP Foundations
0: of Processing Instruction. Maybe we'll put that one up too um, for that's for people who want to go into a little more technical in depth. It's also it also has some stuff in there about basic input processing, um, but it also clarifies over the years. I've been doing processing instruction research since like 1993, um, and there's been a lot of misconceptions out in the field about what it is and so on. Um, a lot of Things have been said about me and about PI. Um, so in that particular article, I'm trying to clarify some of those misconceptions and show how some people get some things wrong. Um, but anyway, so thank you, Walter. You're very Thanks welcome. Thanks for the plague. That was actually a special anniversary um, thing that we did um, a 20, year, 20 years after the 1993 publication of Van Patten and Kadir. No, so. All right. What else we got going on here? Um, let's see. Do I think more of a Twitter press before we go on to either Mixler or the phone? Let's see here. Um, Gina says this, which is kind of – shows you how astute our, our, our listenership is. Can I say listenership? Sure. We don't have readership. We have listenership. Um, Gina says they, students or learners, focus on the message through the words they know or think they know, basically ignoring the words they don't, uh, that don't help with comprehension. That's the same thing as saying they focus on content words, ignore the little words, um, and they try to find things that maximize meaning while, they're, while they are trying to comprehend. Um, and let's see. And uh, let's see. Who else? Magister P here says, hmm, students attempting to comprehend tend to jump at cognates, but I have no idea what's going on in the mind-brain. Well, jumping on cognates is a way of trying to focus on words again. Um my guess is that if he teaches Latin, um there's that's actually a big thing in in Latin, um finding cognates and showing how how words relate between Latin and, and English and other languages. So I wouldn't I would I would expect cognates to be a big deal in Latin learning, Latin teaching. All right. Um so um what else we got going on? I've got any mixer things going on there, Angelica?
1: Yeah. Um Mikey was asking um, what your ideas are on input processing and teaching proficiency through reading and storytelling and how those are connected, if they are.
0: Well, they are. Um, what, what TPRS does um, and any really good comprehension-based approach is tries to do things to reduce the burden on the learner for input processing. Um, but even in the best-case scenario... In TPRS, at the beginning, particularly, learners do what all learners do no matter what the situation is. They try to find the words, the big words that help them get meaning. Um, And so I remember when I went through this last summer, it was interesting because I'm a linguist and I like, you know, I analyze language for a living, right? Um, But I was taking that Russian class with Katya last summer. I found myself doing exactly what any learner does, looking, I mean... recognizable words and and trying to find content words even though what she was doing was making everything so comprehensible Um, what I was processing and remember what processing is again is linking form and meaning so the form I was going for were content words and and string them together in some way to always make sense of everything that was said Um, but Really gifted TPRS teachers and really gifted people who use lots of input in the classroom doesn't doesn't have to be does not necessarily have to be TPRS. What really gifted teachers do is they actually um, speak in ways that help the learners isolate keywords and isolate words all along, um, and so um, and, and they use shorter sentences and they use pauses in very strategic ways and questioning techniques and so on. Um, so those kinds of teachers and those kinds of methods really help the learner with input processing. They actually take some of the burden off. They actually accelerate. One of the things that TPRS and and good input-based approaches do is they accelerate the acquisition process because they take some of that burden off. They can't take all the burden off, but they take some of the burden off. So, all right. Thank Um, you. Thank you, Mikey. That was a good question. I think Mikey's in New York right now. If that's the Mikey, I think it is. Mm. (laughs) Um, hope he's not snowed in at NECFL. Shout out to NECTFL and Northeast Conference on Teaching Mm, Foreign Languages this weekend. What a terrible time for them to have their conference. Okay. um, Anything else on Mixler? I thought we had a caller coming in, but I guess the caller disappeared.
1: I do have another question, and I apologize if I mispronounce your name. Um, Jaka, maybe, is asking, can the students acquire the language just by having input in the classrooms? Is it possible? Two hours a week?
0: Absolutely. Again, it depends on what you mean by acquiring If they're being exposed to input, they're acquiring. Now, I think hidden behind our question is, how much can they acquire two hours a week? Hmm. Well, they're not going to acquire as much as somebody who's exposed to two hours a day, obviously. Um, But whenever you're exposed to language um, in, in a communicative environment and you're processing input, then you are acquiring language. You can't help it. Again, they won't go as far as somebody who has two hours a day, but they'll get to where they can get with their two hours a week. Um, let's be careful out there. And when I get questions, I get worried because I think what people want to do is they always want to compare something like that with more traditional teaching. Or There's a hidden question in there somewhere sometimes that um, is it okay if I do this when they only have three hours a week? I mean, after all, you know, they're not like kids over there, eight hours a day getting input. The point is, is that there is no circumventing input in the, its role. You just can't get around it. So you should never feel guilty that it's taking a long time, or that maybe someone who teaches traditionally they take grammar tests, and they um, and they do better on standardized tests. That's not the point. Acquisition is not about take, taking standardized tests. You're not doing acquisition in the classroom to teach the same old stuff. You're doing acquisition in the classroom to do something different. Um, so, all right. Um, do we have a call coming? I can't quite tell. We have. Oh, we do have a call coming in. Um, It is, oh, well, speak of the devil if this is the same. (laughs) Mikey, are you on the line?
4: I I am on the line. Can you hear me now?
0: Oh, Mikey, Mikey, your Verizon is coming (laughs) through clear. Was that you that just mixlerized that question a little while ago about TPRS and input processing?
4: that that was. That was a a
0: good question. Thank you for that.
4: Yeah, well, we're all trying to connect all this stuff, right? So it's. I'm, I'm curious to see how it connects to what I what I do in the classroom and all that kind of stuff. So I love to hear the answers.
0: Well, there you go. So um, what's going on? Are you are you at Neckful?
4: Yeah. Funny thing is that you know I'm I'm at Neckful, so I'm 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 representing the TPRS and presenting with some people here tomorrow and with Blaine Ray here tomorrow and first time in New York, so it's awesome. And it was great. It was 50 degrees last night, and then there was a blizzard all morning. So uh, hopefully people wow. are coming in. <laughs>
0: I saw that on the Today Show this morning because um, I'm watching News Light these days because I still can't get myself to watch the hard news. Um, so they showed a guy yesterday. Um, they he tweeted a picture of himself. He was lying in the sun on his rooftop yesterday, and then today they tweeted a picture from today, which was somebody all bundled up going out with earmuffs on. So <laughs> anyway, crazy. crazy. Well, so what's up? What are you calling about, Mikey?
4: Well, funny thing is, is I, I'm talking to people today because I'm I'm where we're. we're Exhibiting for TPRS and doing some things, and people stop by and say TPRS, and all these people come up to me and they're, they they're asking me if I know Bill Van Patten, and I like, oh yeah, I know, I know, I know Bill, and and uh, I'm like, I listen to the show. They're like, yeah, I listen to the show, and uh, I said, what's funny is I was just messaging with them that they should do a, jo- a show from Nextful, and so uh, p- people are jazz. People are jazzed that they can get the the content from you guys, and I know you did Actful the last two years, but uh, there might be, uh, it sounds like some requests for you guys, for Angelica, Walter, and the whole crew here.
0: Yeah, Well, we would love to go to New York, as long as it's not a blizzard. (laughs) Yeah, But actually, it's not always in New York, because doesn't it move to different cities now?
4: Well, next year it'll be at the same hotel, which is a Hilton, which is in Manhattan, which is a block away from Times Square.
0: So okay. yeah, yeah. you'd be, I know that. Uh,
4: but the fun, I'll tell you one other funny thing and maybe you guys will comment on this and you know, just political part of input based instruction is I ask people because I'm here for the first time and I'm like, how do people receive comprehensible input? And how do people perceive TPRS here? Because there's not like ACFL hat was full of comprehensible input stuff for the last couple of years and it doesn't seem like there's a lot here. And, the two or three people that I had these individual conversations with separately told me, like, people, are, people love TPRS and comprehensible input individually, but it's not a collective. They've all led me to believe it's not something they share collectively because it's not accepted by by all circles of teachers around here. So I don't know mm-hmm. if you comment on that or what you think about that, but I find it interesting they're all excited to see TPRS is here And they say they do it, but it's not—it's almost like they can't come out of the closet and say they live by input-based instruction.
0: Well, you know, I think there's a couple of things going on, too, is um, that—if I can get political for a minute. Um, uh, Steve Krashen, who I consider to be a friend of mine, he was actually kind of a mentor in my early days. He said a couple of things to me when I was first getting started that really stuck with me, um, which are unrelated to what I'm about to say. And I think that the attacks on Steve Krashen that happened in the 80s and the way he was treated by the language teaching as well as the research profession really did some things to the concept of input-based approaches. Uh, And then in 1991, Tracy Terrell died. And so the natural approach kind of fell to the wayside with his death. And so those of us who have been advocating input and input-based approaches and acquisition class and so on, um, has sort of been marginalized because the, the the attacks on that were so great. There were actually people who wrote in the 80s about fossilization, that input-based approaches led to fossilization and all this kind of stuff, and some people still believe that. There was a tremendous backlash, and I don't think we've ever completely recovered from that. So there, there's that going on in Lingard. Even though now in mainstream SLA theory or I should say theories, input is a critical construct. It's not a major mainstream theory that doesn't say input is necessary for language acquisition. And they all mean the same kind of input, communicatively embedded language that learners are listening to or reading or seeing or whatever. So I think that's unfortunate. We're still lingering from that backlash in the, in the 80s. Um, and part of that backlash had to also do with the proficiency movement. There was so much emphasis pushed on oral proficiency That it was speaking, 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 and acquisition got pushed to the side. So those people who were deeply committed to input and its role in the classroom kind of got shunted to the side. And I don't want to say they are persona non grata, but they didn't get much press time. Yeah. And so I think what's happening is, is it's coming back. And what I'm hearing, which is great, and in, in, I mean, if you remember Actful, the language educator, last year, two years ago, because he asked me to contribute the the lead intro, um, there was a whole language uh, educator issue dedicated to comprehensible input, which I thought was great. Which I th- so I think these things are coming back, Mike. I think yeah. that they're they're starting to come I, I,
4: back. I see it too. I just find it funny. That people people are excited to me individually, and they say, but when they go back to their school districts, so or they talk with other people, right. Or it's not being, uh... you know, they're not wearing their input flag at these things, right. and I just find that you know I, I find it funny, and and I would say one thing that you know I just was uh, with Blaine Ray in Chicago at a school and doing a workshop, and he just always says this. He goes. You know, in regards to TPRS and all this, he goes, "Just show us what you're doing better, and we'll go in that direction." And 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 a lot of times, these other these other paradigms that people tout, they don't really show the results the way some of these classroom teachers are showing it. So so really, I don't know. I, I just like to right. see enough of the politics. Let's talk results to all these people yeah. who, so we can all come together. Because even these people that are on a, in a different political we actually all want the same thing. It's just funny right. how how humans interact with each other. But uh, you guys got to come here. People want you here, and uh, you guys make uh, language teaching fun and exciting. And everyone loves Angelica's smile and Walter's personality. So let's go.
0: Well, there we go. <laughs> Yay. Okay. Well, tell <laughs> tell the Neffle people that we'll be there next year if they want us.
4: All right. I'll I'll talk to this guy tomorrow and see see what he says.
0: Okay. 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 All, all right. right. Well, thanks a a lot, Mikey. Enjoy yourself. Stay safe today.
4: All right. Talk to you all soon. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye,
1: Mikey. Bye, Mikey.
0: Well, we had a caller for our um, SLA question, but something happened. The person disappeared. I don't know what happened. So should I do the SLA challenge question again? or Should I throw out the Diva challenge question, too, or what? Do both of them. Okay. All right. So here we go, because we only got like 15 minutes left. So, okay. So here's the SLA challenge question.
2: Time is flying.
0: I know. That's that Prozac kicking in. Okay. Um, Bill Van Patten is the name most associated with input processing. Who is associated with output processing um, as described in processability theory? That's our SLA question. Okay, I'm going to throw the Diva Challenge question out there, too, for all you Diva fans. This is super fun. Ready for this?
1: Yeah, bring it on.
0: What is the name of the Grammy Award-winning album that Cyndi Lauper released and which resulted in not one— not two, not three, but four top 100 hits, including Time After Time and Girls Just Want to Have Fun. So what's the name of that album? What is the name of that Grammy award-winning album that Cindy Lau- Lauper released, this was back in the 80s, and resulted in four top 100 hits, including Time After Time and Girls Just Want to Have Fun. We want the name of the album. So call in with your answer and win a prize. There I know
2: those songs, just so you know.
0: Wow, I congratulations, know. I don't know Walter. the album, but I know the song. <laughs> can, here's Walter. Time after time. With his, <laughs> <laughs> with his, with his, with his head cold time or whatever you have. it. Time. time after time. All right, there we go. Um... Okay. Um, anything else going on? How about our email? We have any email questions? We while have lots that? of email questions. Well, why don't you throw an email question while we're waiting for someone to call and, all and right. answer a question for us. We can do that. Or access a question or whatever they're going to do. This is a
2: question from Ryan from Texas. He says he's wondered about this for a long time. What happens when we hear input? Is all input the same? If we are a member of the communicative event, is the input processed differently? If we have an informational need, for example, communicating with a member of the community in a foreign country, is the input processed even more effectively? What role does stress and environment play in this? Lots of questions in there.
0: Well, OK. I I think let's just get clear. What I'm talking about are the psycholinguistic processes that learners take to the task you know, focusing on content words, using prosody and rhythm to isolate those content words and word boundaries and phrase boundaries and so on. Um, and then, uh, foc- the, you know, grammars focus on as parts of words, not individually and separated from it. Um, the first noun strategies, they're all things that are psycholinguistically based. And those are the same no matter the context, the language being learned, the age of the learner, and so on. Well, I think actually it's true of little kids too, but that we'll get that we can get down another show. Um, so I think what he's getting at is the emotional thing, or maybe the motivational thing, which is not part of what I'm talking about. So you could be more deeply or less deeply engaged with the input, and that does not alter. The fact that you're still going to go for content words. You're still going to process the first noun as a subject agent in the sentence. You're still going to process beginnings of, of sentences better than ends of sentences and middle sentences. All these things are going to happen to you regardless of your level of involvement. So um, yes, those you know those situations, some situations will make you more deeply engaged with the input or less deeply engaged. But the underlying, the deeper processes aren't going to change. So I don't know if I answered Ryan's question, but that's that's my reaction to what he asked. So,
2: Well, if it's not answered, give us a call at
0: 517-884-4321. But you only have five or six minutes left. Oh, my God. So we, God, time is flying, I tell you. So what else we got? Anything on Mixler before um, we go back to another uh, email question on Galica?
1: Oh, there are um, very deep discussions going on, but no questions.
0: Oh. Any comments or you want to read out loud?
1: I want to read my quote out loud.
0: Okay. Well, we'll do your quote. Okay. Ding, 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 Walter. It's time for... Angelica's segment. I'm excited. She's got a quote for us. (laughs) Tell us your quote, Angelica.
1: Here it goes. This is um, from Espit Quarter.
0: Yay, I love Espit Quarter.
1: From the IRL, um, volume 5, going back to 1967. Wow. Right. And um, the, the article is titled, Significance of Learner's Errors. And here's the quote. The simple fact of presenting a certain linguistic form to a learner in the classroom does not necessarily qualify it for the status of input for the reason that input is what goes in, not what is available for going in. And we may reasonably suppose that it is the learner who controls this input or more properly, his intake.
0: There you go. Yes, input versus intake. Yes. I like that because what he's saying is that um, no matter what we do, no matter how hard we try to be comprehensible or whatever goes, ultimately it's the learner that's controlling what goes, yep. gets in. And, and there's individual variation there, too. Um, and, that's, and that's a good distinction. A lot of people think that the input-intake distinction is a more recent development. But as has established that way back in 1967. So input is what you're exposed to, in, and intake is actually what gets processed in a given moment, that four-meaning connection that happens that can start to make it into your head. Very good. I like the fact that he says the learner is in control of the input because the learner is. I mean, yes, the learner is not in control of the input, but the learner is in control of processing the input. Thank you. Very topical. Very good.
1: You are I love SBIT quarter.
0: Everybody should read that article. What's the name of it again?
1: Significance of the Learner's Errors.
0: Yes, the Significance of Learner's Errors. We need that. That needs to be standard reading for every teacher education course on language education. That's the foundation of everything we do. Everything he said in there is applicable to everything we talk about and everything we think about, both in second language acquisition research and in second language teaching. All right, Walter, give me another question from email. All right, this one's from Nina.
2: Nina. Nina. It's from Nina. (laughs) It's from Nina in California. And Nina says, what do you say to a student who says they're not an auditory learner with one... Uh, student in my French 2 class, it doesn't matter how often I repeat the structure and make it comprehensible. It seems to go in one ear and out the other.
0: Um, I I, I don't think there's any such thing as someone not being an auditory learner because in acquisition, you either have to be an auditory learner if it's oral input or you have to be a visual learner if it's signed input or written input. And technically, you're both. I think... When a learner says, I'm an auditory learner, that's when you learn explicitly. I, I, I don't learn explicitly through you telling me stuff. I have to see it, right? Um, so I, I'm, not, I'm not sure what's going on there because in the way the question is worded, um, I think the learner who says, I'm an auditory learner, is trying to actively, explicitly learn something from the input as opposed to trying to comprehend the input. Again, I think there's a mismatch there between goal and purpose. And so there's some miscommunication going on between the teacher and the student or maybe I don't know what Nina's actually doing in the classroom. I hope Nina's not trying to use input to teach grammar um, because then then the student is right. I don't, you know, I, if you're going to try to teach me a grammar rule through input, then I'm going to I need to see it because if I'm going to be responsible for learning the grammar rule then, you know. But trying to comprehend a message, there's only one way to do that. That's either listening or reading. That's, that's what's got to happen. So um, so I'm a little confused by, by that student's reaction. Um, but anyway, so Nina, I hope, I don't know if I answered your question, Nina, but it's a good one. I, I think it's good. Uh, at least it made me think about something that I hadn't thought about before, so... Okay, what's going on?
1: Why are we not getting any calls? Everybody is home, listening live. I know, they don't want to. On a to... snow day, and we have two fantastic challenge questions I out
0: know, there. I know. No coasters are going out, no notes are going out. We have tote bags. If you've won coasters in the past and you want a tote bag, you can call in. We don't care.
2: If you don't call in, I'm taking home some coasters and tote bags. and. Well, and I
1: pads, mean, how paper. does that make our new intern Jennifer feel? Oh. Nobody's calling in for her.
0: She's I know. So sad. She's in this just she's like that. She's crying. She's like that Maytag repair guy in those old TV commercials—the loneliest guy in the world, the Maytag repair yeah. guy. One is the lonely. Oh wait, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh god, he's picking up. It. He's awake. He's
1: alive. <laughs> <laughs> Grant, I've got what...
2: another email question, but go ahead. Sounds like you have one.
1: No, Grant would like you to know that you cannot blow your nose with coasters, though.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'll be sure not to do that. <laughs> okay,
0: what's the email question?
2: Did you have one?
1: Well, you to some mixer people are asking if you could re- repeat the, the two challenge questions.
0: Oh, my God. They're having Alice moments out there. Better hurry up because we only have like four minutes left. Um, and I have two minutes to wrap up at the end. Okay. Uh, SLA challenge question. Bill Van Patten is the name most associated with input processing. Who's associated with output processing as described in processability theory? Maybe we should have a show on processability theory and output mm-hmm. processing mm-hmm. so people can see how they're completely different things. Okay, so who is associated with output processing as described in processability theory? We want the name. The Diva Challenge question. What is the name of the album, the Grammy Award winning album that Cyndi Lauper released and resulted in four top 100 hits, including Time After Time and Girls Just Want to Have Fun? Easy to People Googleize those things.
1: People are afraid of being wrong.
2: Googleize. Googleize. Maybe Karen should call in again because she's gotten wrong. Well, she yeah, poor wrong Karen. I want
0: to give Karen something. I uh, that's all right. Otherwise, I'm going to answer these questions myself here in a minute. And then I'm going to give myself some coaching. I like
1: it. You do that.
0: I'm going to do that. I'm going I'm to be doing that. Um, okay, here's a question. Ready? No, it looks oh, like someone's oh, some oh, calling in. Some we have a caller, Jennifer from the third floor. (laughs) Jennifer from the third floor is calling in. Okay. All right, then. Jennifer, are you on the line? Hi. Hey, Jennifer. Um, uh, What are you calling about?
1: Um, I'm a big fan of Cyndi Lauper, so
0: is it... Oh, so you're going to answer the... Okay, real quick, let me repeat it for everybody. What's the name of the Grammy award-winning album that Cyndi Lauper released and resulted in four top 100 hits, including Time After Time and Girls Just Want to Have Fun? Jennifer, answer is
1: she's so unusual.
0: Yay!
1: Excellent! Yay! Good. Excellent!
0: Yay! Can we're you, you away sing? What are those songs for us?
1: I'm sorry. What'd you say?
0: Can you sing one of those songs for us? Oh
1: no! <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> I can't see. We'll make you do that next time. Okay, Jennifer. What we're going to do is uh, we're going to because you called in and saved the day. We're going to give you two presents. Oh. Yeah, so we'll get those to you. um, And it looks like you're in the building somewhere. Oh, yeah, they will be hand delivered. So they'll be hand delivered. So we'll give you you a couple of presents. So my
4: coworkers
1: and I are super excited. We listen to you guys all the time.
0: Oh, well, great. Thanks. Okay, well, great. All right. Well, thanks for calling in. I got to do my wrap up now, so I got to say bye. Bye
2: bye. Bye bye, Jennifer. Thanks,
0: Jennifer. Oh, that was sweet. All right. Well, what's the answer to the processability theory question? Who's the originator of that?
1: I don't know how to pronounce his Peeneman. name. Peeneman. Yeah.
0: Monfred Peeneman, yes. There we go, Monfred Peeneman. Okay, it's time to wrap up, do our thank yous. Let's thank our technical producer, Daniel Trego, with his hip hop hat on today, our media producer, Luca Gipponi, the talented and trusted call handler, except for today, and muscle man, Dustin DeFelice, whose duties were taken over today by the equally talented and trusted call handler, Jennifer Lee, who's learning all kinds of things for the show. I want to thank the College of Arts and Letters at Michigan State for sponsoring us, especially our Dean Christopher Long. And as a reminder, the ideas and opinions expressed in this program do not reflect those of the College of Arts and Letters, any of our sponsors, or any other official entity of Michigan State University. And, of course, we thank all of you listeners out there on your snow day, even if you didn't call in. <laughs> all right. Join us next week as we answer your many requests and Dan is trying to play the end music there we're going to ask you many requests and guess what we're going to talk about next week on Gallica. what's that universal grammar Woo-hoo! what Ooh. is it what is it is it real time. is it a figment of our imagination what is it until then have a great weekend and happy second language acquisition to everybody out there bye bye
1: tschüss viel Spaß mit dem Schnee
0: auf Wiedersehen
1: sehr
2: gut <laughs> <laughs>